If there's a concrete wall in front of you, go through it, go over it, go around it, but get to the other side of that wall. <laughs> Is that what he said? That's what he said. That's what he said. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI and Round Mountain, California on KKRN and in Eureka on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, in Cottage Grove on KSO, and in Eugene on KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, in Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, on KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Goldendale, uh, uh, Washington's KVGD, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, well, it is said there is a tweet for everything from Donald Trump, where years ago he said something that is uh, in direct conflict with his actions today, years later. Um, for example, back in 2013, I think it was, when he when he said that shutdowns are the fault of the president, since the president is the one who is in charge. Of course, it was a way to attack Barack Obama at the time. He tweeted, fact This is in August of 2013. Fact, the reason why Americans have to worry about a government shutdown is because Obama refuses to pass a budget. He later tweeted, leadership, whatever happens, you're responsible. If it doesn't happen, you're responsible. On Fox and Friends, his favorite TV show back at the time in 2013, here's what he said when he was asked directly about the possibility of a government shutdown and who would be responsible for it. Who's going to bear the brunt of the responsibility if indeed there is a shutdown of our government? Well, if you say who gets fired, it always has to be the top. I mean, problems start from the top and they have to get solved from the top. And the president's the leader. And he's got to get everybody in a room, and he's got to lead. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't like doing that. That's not his strength. (laughs) And that's why you have this horrible situation going on in Washington. It's a very, very bad thing, and it's very embarrassing worldwide. You know, the interesting thing is in uh, 25 years and 50 years and 100 years from now, when the government is, you know, they talk about the government shutdown, they're going to be talking about the president of the United States. Who was the president at that time? Mm -hmm. They're not going to be talking who the head of the House was, the head of the Senate, uh, who's running things in Washington. They're going to be talking about during the Obama administration. It was a disaster. Huh. 
How interesting. Go figure. Uh, during the Obama administration, it was a disaster because there was a lack of leadership. It's not about the uh, Speaker of the House. It's not about... Huh. Interesting. Uh, uh, hi, Desi Doyen, Hello. by the way. Um, Comedy Central's The Daily Show also found some interesting video footage uh, that is not about the shutdown, but it's from Donald Trump giving uh, a, a commencement address back in 2014. Do we know where? No, which this school is actually. This? We I don't know which school it was. Yeah. I could not quite find out that info. This was back in 2004, ah. back when he seemed to be, you know, have a different philosophy about walls. Apparently so. Go ahead and play that clip. Never, ever give up. Don't give up. Don't allow it to happen. If there's a concrete wall in front of you. Go through it, go over it, go around it, but get to the other side of that wall. <laughs> there really is something for everything with him. <sighs> More good advice from Donald Trump before he became insane. Uh, speaking of all of the above, and yes, this is all related, the romaine lettuce E. coli outbreak that sickened Americans in 16 states last November, leading to uh, the popular leafy green being pulled off the shelves just two days before Thanksgiving last year, now, quote, appears to be over. According to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Wednesday, in all, the latest outbreak sickened 62 people in 16 states. 25 of them were hospitalized and uh, was ultimately linked to lettuce growers in central California after illnesses began last October. The most recent illness was reported to have begun with symptoms on December 4. The outbreak led U.S. officials to issue a stark warning last year, as you'll recall, for consumers to stay away from all romaine lettuce while the investigation looked for the source of the bacteria. That was the second, the second E. coli outbreak linked to romaine lettuce last year. The first from March through June of last year sickened 210 people across 36 states and left five dead. It was linked to romaine grown in Yuma, Arizona, that first one was. Lettuce is vulnerable to illness-causing bacteria like E. coli because it is generally not cooked before consumption. When produce or other foods are cooked, E. coli can be killed by heat. Now, while the CDC says the latest outbreak is over, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is continuing to investigate how the outbreak occurred and the specific farms involved. But that investigation is being made no easier for the FDA right now by the ongoing federal government shutdown, which, if it continues beyond Saturday, as all indications suggest, it will become the longest such shutdown in U.S. history. Or, as Donald Trump might describe it, the greatest and longest shutdown ever, breaking records that no one thought was even possible before he became president. On Thursday, Trump announced he would be canceling his planned trip to the Davos International Economic Conference due to, gov due to the uh, government shutdown. In a tweet announcing the decision today, the president blamed, quote, Democrats intransigence on border security and the great importance of safety for our nation. We've been reporting all week on the very real effects of Trump's shutdown, which is now nearly three weeks old since the president decided to change his mind about the $1.3 billion for border security that he had previously agreed to 
with Republicans and Democrats alike for the federally uh, uh, federal government's fiscal 2019 year budget and in, instead is demanding $5.7 billion now from Congress to build his promised southern border wall. Without that, he has decided to take much of the federal government hostage, essentially, unless and until he gets that money for his wall. It is somewhat ironic, then, that he cites the, quote, great importance of safety for our nation today. While the CDC says romaine lettuce is now safe to eat, there are new questions about all foods for all Americans, with the FDA now operating on little more than a skeleton crew during the ongoing lengthy shutdown. The furloughing of hundreds of Food and Drug Administration inspectors has sharply reduced inspections of the nation's food supply. Washington Post reports today citing that cons- uh, that uh, concerns uh, that concern is just one of the many repercussions of the partial government shutdown that are making Americans potentially less safe, according to the paper. The agency, the FDA, which oversees 80 percent of the food supply, has suspended all routine inspections of domestic food processing facilities. According to the FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, in an interview, he says he is working on a plan to bring inspectors back as early as next week to inspect facilities that are considered to be high risk. But the nonprofit advocacy group, the Center for Science in the Public Interest, describes the inspection reductions as unacceptable. Sarah Sorcher, the deputy director of regulatory affairs for CSPI, says this puts our food supply at risk. Regular inspections, which help stop foodborne illness before people get sick, are vital. Foodborne illnesses uh, are a major problem in the U.S. They sicken some 48 million people each year and kill 3,000, the CDC estimates. The FDA typically conducts about 160 routine food inspections a week in the U.S. The agency's inspectors look for problems such as unsanitary conditions, insect infestations, salmonella, and E. coli contamination, as it did, for instance, in the recent investigations of romaine lettuce. But for nearly three weeks now, and despite his professed concern today about the great importance of safety for our nation, Trump's refusal to reopen the government means that none of the FDA's inspectors have been on the job. Hope you're not listening during dinner tonight. Joining us now to discuss all of this is Tom Philpot, award-winning food and agriculture correspondent, for Mother Jones, where he writes the Food for Thought blog, Tom Philpot, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, you post an article at Mother Jones today, headlined "How Trump's Shutdown Forks Over Everyone Who Eats Food." Everyone who eats food—that's a lot of people. How concerned uh, should we be, Tom, about the lack of FDA inspection right now of the nation's food supply? Well, I think we should be pretty concerned. Um, Especially as this drags on and on, um, you know, the indications that we're getting from the FDA is that, you know, if they can cobble together some money, they will get the um, sort of high-risk facilities uh, inspections going back up again. Mm-hmm. And this would presumably be products like romaine lettuce, where you know there's a in sort of like as you said before, in, in raw products like lettuce. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have been a, um, a major source of, of outbreaks over the past 10 or 15 years. And so hopefully things like that will be inspected. 
But there are a whole other, you know, loads and loads of other things that aren't considered high risk. Um, the example that I keep thinking about is um, about 10 or 12 years ago, there was a massive salmonella outbreak with peanut butter. Um, and peanut butter from a jar is not something you think about um, being particularly dangerous. And um, when, so when it happened, a bunch of people got sick. And, um, I, and I wrote about it at the, at the time. And what one found was that there were many missed signals. There was one enormous peanut butter factory in Georgia that was sending its products out to all different kinds of companies and products like uh, Power Bars, mm-hmm. also different brands of peanut butter itself. Um, and when you um, went back and looked at it, there was a complete failure of routine inspections to pick up things like rat infestations in this factory, like um, leaks in the ceiling where water's coming in through the roof and getting onto machinery and not being cleaned up. Um, a really, really horrible situation that would have been um, would have been remedied before it led to this outbreak if there had been routine inspections, which which uh, weren't going you know weren't going on in any sort of um, uh, adequate way. Mm-hmm. And you know I think that's a reminder of the kind of thing that you get when you just sort of halt routine inspection. And yeah, children, as I recall, died in that uh, in that peanut outbreak uh, a few years ago. Would that be so? That would be considered something that is not high-risk, not a high-risk facility, yeah, even if we got uh, some of these inspectors back for those for those inspections? Yeah, because it was such a one-off situation. Um, but it just, it just shows you that any kind of product that we take for granted as sort of being mundane products mm-hmm. that aren't regularly in the news for causing outbreaks can cause outbreaks when companies lapse and uh, the sort of uh, regulatory process fail. And so this is sort of an engineered failure of the regulatory process. Yeah. So it's just a very, very stupid idea. You know, it, it, it is, and that's why it kind of drives me crazy when I see uh, Trump claiming that, oh, this is all about the safety of the American people. Uh, the uh, the Washington Post reports that the uh, U.S. Uh, Department of Agriculture, the USDA, operates in parallel with the FDA to inspect meat, poultry, and egg products, and those inspections have continued according to a uh, shutdown plan that was uh, forwarded by uh, to the paper by the USDA. Should we consider those products at least safe to eat or at least as safe as they ever were to eat? Well, we could have a whole conversation about the USDA's inspection process and all the different problems with it, but mm-hmm. it does appear that the Food Safety and Inspection Service, which is the FDA agency that oversees um, the safety of meat plants, is on the job and they are not furloughing um, you know, it's considered one of these essential services, like, I mean, I guess the, the government in a shutdown situation decides that, well, we don't necessarily have to have someone doing inspections at the romaine lettuce mm-hmm. processing plant, but at the place where they're slaughtering thousands of hogs a day, we really have to have inspectors on duty. Well, I guess that's good, and I know there are concerns about having enough inspectors, even when even when they are not furloughed, even when everybody is on the job, having enough inspectors at the USDA and the FDA. Uh, Sarah Sorcher, uh, who I quoted over at the uh, Center for Science and Public Interest, she notes in a blog item this week that uh, work to finish rules under the Food Safety Modernization Act has also ground to a halt during the shutdown, impairing efforts to improve produce safety, recall communications, and outbreak tracing. What What is the Food Safety Modernization Act, and 
Uh, how might that help avoid situations like the uh, like the two devastating and deadly uh, recalls of romaine lettuce last year, Tom? Well, it is a it was an act that was passed in Congress during, I believe, the first term of the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to sort of streamline and integrate better the functions of the USDA and the FDA and to give, um, you know, just like you said, more communication within the agencies when there's a recall um, and to um, you know, just basically streamline it. And it has been in the rulemaking process forever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not one of the things, I mean, if, it's delay, if that process is delayed by a few weeks or a month or two, mm-hmm. it's not one of the things that I consider to be extremely important. But, you know, we are several years into the passage of the Act, and um, it is time to go ahead and wrap it up and figure out how it all works out. Um, but, you know, produce was a big part of that. Um, testing at various points in the produce processing um, process was, mm-hmm. uh, was, was part of that act, and uh, presumably it could help the government stop this thing from happening in the first place. But, you know, one thing that I think that isn't necessarily part of the Food Safety Modernization Act is the fact that a lot of these lettuce-producing regions like Yuma, Yuma in Arizona and also the Imperial Valley in Cal- of California, which is, are pretty much close together, mm-hmm. and also lettuce in the Central Valley of California, they tend to be in places where there's lots of concentrated dairy operations and, uh, and cattle operations. And I think that is a problem that, you know, is the fundamental problem uh, with, with lettuce. I mean, you know, that and the fact that they produce so much in one place and put it together all in one place, and if there's a little bit of taint in one part of the process, it, it can spread out into a huge amount of lettuce. But the fact that we have these produce operations really close to these enormous concentrations of animals and manure and manure leaching out of these operations, I, I think it's a much bigger problem. And unfortunately, it's something that that act is not going to solve. Well, there was, I wanted to ask you about that because, uh, yeah, the concerns, I think, in, in all of these romaine cases is uh, from manure coming from the dairy farms, from the cattle, uh, going into the water, and then that water being used on uh, to grow these vegetables, essentially. Uh, Last year, after the first romaine outbreak that had sickened hundreds in 36 states and killed five people, but just before the second outbreak that folks, I'm sure, remember from Thanksgiving, uh, there was an article at Wired.com uh, headlined, The Science is Clear, Dirty Farm Water is Making Us Sick. And uh, Elizabeth Shogren and Susie Nielsen wrote this piece. I wanted to quote uh, just some of this and ask you about it because it kind of, when I read it at the time, I was amazed by it. Uh, they write that after several high-profile disease outbreaks linked to food, and remember, this was before the Thanksgiving out- outbreak, um, after several high-profile disease outbreaks, Congress in 2011 ordered a fix, and pro- uh, produce growers in 2018 would have begun testing their water for exactly this, um, the, the uh, E. coli poisoning in fruits and vegetables, uh, under rules that were crafted by the Obama administration's FDA. But six months before people were sickened by the contaminated romaine early last year, President Trump's uh, FDA 
responding to pressure from the farm industry and Trump's order to eliminate regulations, shelved the water testing rules for at least four years. Four years. Despite the first deadly outbreak last year, the FDA has shown no sign of reconsidering its plan to postpone the rules. The FDA's lack of urgency dumbfounds food safety scientists. Uh, Particularly, they note farm groups uh, contend that water testing is too expensive, but while postponing the water testing rules would save growers $12 million per year, it would cost consumers $108 million per year in medical expenses, according to an FDA analysis. $12 million is what we are saving and uh, putting the country at risk. $12 million seems to be a pretty small price to pay to help avoid an outbreak that seems devastating to growers and and the industry itself not to mention deadly to consumers am i missing something here yeah i mean that's an incredible irony and you know the whole thing started with a major outbreak back in 2007 2008 of lettuce the salinas valley of california um that was ended up being traced to tainted water and that's what put put that whole move into motion and, yeah, it is incredible to be in 2019 um, after a year of huge outbreaks, and that rule is, is still delayed. And, it, and it's a classic example of a false economy where he's saving some producers some money but just endangering everyone else. Mm-hmm. And taking a, a product that we're, we're told to eat more of, we're supposed to eat more lettuce and more spinach, and, right. um, and we can't trust the safety of it because of this this sort of thing. And we're talking about $12 million, Tom. I mean, even if the uh, even if that number is correct, that it would cost growers $12 million, isn't that something that the government should just pay for? I mean, that is a, uh, you know, a, a, a drop in the uh, proverbial E. coli water-filled bucket, isn't it? Exactly. It is, um, it is a rounding error in the industry's overall income. You were a grower, you were or are a, a grower yourself, as I understand it, of organic uh, vegetables at a sustainable farm in North Carolina. I mean, is there any justification for not carrying out these tests due to expense? In other words, if the organic industry was threatened by, uh, you know, the type of recall that we saw for uh, for romaine last year. I mean, wouldn't that be something that you as a grower would want to do, would willingly pay uh, the extra money to make sure that sort of thing didn't happen to your industry? I don't understand why something like that would happen twice as it did in, in one year last year. Yeah, it's absolutely true that you're you're risking the reputation of your product. You're risking the idea that consumers are going to be like, no, I want a um, Caesar salad that has something besides romaine in it. Um, you, you're risking the reputation of your product. And it's absolutely true that if, you know, at, at our little farm, if, there, if a problem of that sort was brought to our attention, um, we would immediately take steps for that very reason you're saying. If there was some way we could test water, we would test it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, you know, another another thing that I think is important is that the, the feedback loops that you get into in uh, local regional networks are just on a different scale in these giant operations. Because mm-hmm. if you're producing lettuce in the winter in the Yuma Imperial Valley area, you're basically supplying the entire country um, in a in a couple of counties mm-hmm. in you know in the southwest, 
And so if something goes wrong in one of these processors, these are mega processors, then you can cause a problem that would be literally in the entire country, 48 states, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're in a small farm in North Carolina and you're supplying your, your own little network, you immediately hear if there's a problem and you can fix it. But in, in these cases, it can go on, you know, it, it, it can take the, the FDA weeks and even months to figure out what's going on. So it's even way more important uh, at the scale that these companies are, are operating under. Yeah, just another problem with uh, massive scale industrial uh, farming. Uh, before I let you go, Tom Philpott, uh, you, your piece today at Mother Jones you wrote about uh, some of the other food and farm-related shutdown concerns, uh, federal government uh, shutdown concerns. I'll, I'll point folks over to your piece when I post today's program at bradblog.com. But very quickly, can you sum up th- some of those concerns facing uh, farmers and food stamp recipients and, yes, craft beer makers as this partial federal government shutdown continues to go on and on? Well, you know, as for these sort of large-scale farmers that produce corn and soybeans, and some of your big commodity farmers in California that do, you know, almonds at an industrial scale, they've had a lot of problems from Trump, from the word jump. Mm-hmm. Even though they, they tend to support Trump, um, you know, first of all, this demonization of immigrants, which this wall that he's demanding is part of, um, breaks out their labor supply. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the number of uh, undocumented workers in the in, in, who work in farms is somewhere between half and seventy percent. Mm. Um, you know, a huge portion of their workers are undocumented. Um, most of the rest are Hispanic, are from you know Mexico or Central America, uh, and he's completely demonizing their workforce. Um, then his trade wars are you know basically cratering their markets for their for their goods, mm. and so they're in this situation where they're getting it that they're they're having a waiver crunch their their markets for soybeans and almonds and things like that are are falling because because of lack of demand from places like china and now he's got he comes in here with this government shutdown and he put together a, a 12 billion billion dollar aid package to make up for their trade losses and it is you know basically for a lot of farmers on hold they, they can't get their money um, that, that the federal government promised them until the shutdown is over. Um, and then, you know, this is a very crucial time of the season for them. They're, they're making their plans for the, for the next growing season. That's causing a lot of anxiety in farm country. For the craft brewers, um, it's pretty interesting that when, a, when any kind of alcoholic beverage maker produces a new product, mm-hmm. you have to go to a federal agency to have the label approved. Um, and it's not really the picture on the label. It's, you know, it's basically like, is it telling you the percentage of alcohol? Mm-hmm. Is it, um, is it a, a warning about not drinking when you're pregnant? Or, you know, these, these things that mm-hmm. have to be on a label. It's a very perfunctory process. Um, but it has to happen. It has to be signed off. And the agency that does that is completely shuttered. And so if you're making Budweiser, you're not putting a new label on that. You're just turning out the same label you've been doing for years and years. But if you're a small craft brewer, and I know you guys have a lot of those in Southern California. Yes, we do. Your bread and butter is bringing out new new products, new styles of IPA, sour style, mm-hmm. um, you know, seasonal. You want, you know, want to get your spring beer out, your summer beer out. And those companies, those, those brewers are all completely 
on on hold, and that can be that can you know make major profitability differences if you're if you're at that scale. And and you and write then, you write in in the article that uh, some of these breweries have huge uh, you know tanks of, of of beer that is ready to go that is now going to just uh, basically rot because they can't sell it because they can't get a label for it because the government is shut yeah. down. Yeah. And that is exactly, I mean, that shows you exactly how perfunctory the process is. Like, you, you've already made a beer, and the government says, you know your label's fine. But the government, it's a bureaucratic thing. It has to sign off on it. And suddenly you've got this, this huge tank of beer, and you can't, you can't legally sell it. Um, and so that is just going to throw a huge wrench in the craft brewers. And then, you know, for low-income Americans on food stamps, mm-hmm. on WIC, which is a program for women and children, um, who don't have very much money, um, the, the funding mechanisms are very complicated, but they're, both those programs are running on reserves uh, because they're not funded because there's no funding bill. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they are being sort of uh, pushed this way and that about whether or not the, the programs are going to continue. And, um, and I think if, if this was like a Democratic administration then I think people could know that the administration has their back, that they will figure out a way to get funding for these programs if the, you know, if this shutdown continues to continues. But the Trump administration and the Republican Party in general has been so hostile to these programs, mm-hmm. you know, going back years and years, but definitely since the first of the, of the Trump administration, that, you know, there's no assurances, there's no one fighting for them, um, like you know, I feel like Scott God God God. I'm sorry, Scott God, Gottlieb at the, the FDA. Yeah, Gottlieb at the FDA. I mean, I feel like he made a pretty strong statement that we're going to try to get these, inspe- you know, the inspections to the high risk facilities on track. And he, you know, like he takes some pride in it. He's invested in it. Well, there's no one at USDA who has that kind of feeling about people on 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 SNAP. The administration yeah. has, you know, basically demonstrated that it's hostile to the program. And so it just puts people in a very precarious position. Supposedly, it's all funded through, I think, February for SNAP. Mm-hmm. But, you know, who knows how long this thing's going to go on. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to get a wall uh, from Congress. Uh, and so it, it could conceivably go on after that, which, if it does, I mean, the, the food safety situation is going to get gnarly if it goes on that long. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, if if he is willing to uh, turn his back or essentially screw over farmers, uh, you know, his his support base, if he's willing to screw them over because they can't get their their uh, their payments to cover for his trade war, if he's willing to tell farmers to go to hell and, you know, craft brewers essential to go to hell, small businesses. Who's looking out for the women, infants, and children, and poor people who rely on uh, these uh, these programs for their nutrition? Uh, that's not a not a pretty picture. Uh, Tom Philpot, really appreciate you joining us today. We'll point folks over to your uh, article on that. You can find Tom's work at MotherJones.com, of course, and you can and should follow him on the Twitters at Tom Philpot. Tom, really appreciate you joining us today. Lots of fun being on here. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, quick break, and we'll uh, come back with more on the shutdown. It's not just the FDA closure that is putting Americans at risk. That's ahead. Also, speaking of at risk, Desi Doyen, a Green News report coming up a little bit later. All of that much more straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. (laughs) 
Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Don't do it. If do you it. can use Don't get into that plane. Booze, Not right now. Not with the government shut down. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Just saying. Uh, Desi Doyen, uh, the FDA inspections or the lack uh, thereof of the inspection of the nation's food supply is not the only thing to worry about during this shutdown. Oh, goody. Sorry to say. Food inspections are just one of the public health and safety efforts that have been cut or curtailed during the shutdown. Washington Post reports, uh, which uh, the federal government also keeps airplanes from colliding inspects pharmaceutical drugs, pursues criminals, and defends against possible terrorist and cyber attacks. They say, but a shutdown upends the calculus of risk management as agencies, including the FBI, Coast Guard, Secret Service, FDA, Federal Aviation Administration, and Agriculture Department face drastically reduced resources. The uh, Secret Service, they write, is mostly at work, but even there, according to the DHS shutdown plan approved last year, uh, just over 1,200 of the 7,200 employees are deemed non-essential. So there's uh, about 1,200 who are not reporting for work at the Secret Service. So not too bad in DHS's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency Almost half of the employees are considered non-essential. So in theory, they are not showing up for work. Half of the nation's cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency. What could possibly go wrong? Hmm. Well, here's what could go wrong. DHS's Countering Weapons of Mass Destruction Office is two-thirds unstaffed. Nothing to worry about there. Um, (laughs) Another concern is air traffic control, a system which critics say was chronically underfunded before the FAA ran out of money during the shutdown. The FAA's functions are also highly specialized. So if workers quit, as is beginning to happen with some of these uh, federal workers, they cannot be quickly replaced. Uh, On Tuesday, Congressman Benny Thompson, chair of the House Committee on Homeland Security, issued 10 questions for the DHS, all touching on security. He asked, for example, whether the office charged with countering weapons of mass destruction is still able to share bioterrorism and nuclear threat information with state and local officials. He also wanted to know whether cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency is still inspecting high risk chemical facilities. Oh, boy. What do you think he heard back from DHS? Nothing. I would be my guess is nothing. You are correct. They did not immediately respond to those questions because the bulk of the department's uh, legislative affairs team has been furloughed. So they're not showing up for work. 
The Airline Pilots Association International, which is the union that represents pilots, sent a letter to President Trump saying the FAA has fewer inspectors on duty than are required, quote, to ensure the air traffic control infrastructure is performing at its peak levels of performance. The letter urged Trump to, quote, immediately end the shutdown of government agencies that is affecting the safety, security and efficiency of our national airspace system. Again, uh, Trump claimed, as we mentioned earlier in the show, that uh, the reason he's keeping the government shut down is for the safety of Americans. Yeah. Well, the actual evidence seems to uh, seems to suggest quite the opposite. It's it's just so illogical and stupid that this is where we are. That mo, oh, you know, it just it just makes me mad. Donald Trump, twenty twenty, illogical and stupid. That may be the <laughs> that should be his yeah, tagline. You shouldn't be surprised. Uh, NYU political scientist Paul Light noted that the federal government does does a great deal of risk monitoring, ideally to anticipate major problems and be prepared to react to them. But he says the work is compromised during the shutdown. Shutdowns, he says, are a perfect way to force a breakdown, said Light. He has spent much of his career studying those sort of security breakdowns, which include the U.S. failure to anticipate the 9-11 terrorist attacks and the country's slow response to the 2014 Ebola crisis. The thought was uh, echoed by David Berteau, president and chief executive of the Professional Services Council, which represents about 400 companies that have contracts with the federal government. He said under the shutdown, the government is forced to shift from detection and prevention to after-the-fact response which more likely is going to be too little, too late. But there's some good news here at the end of Washington Post coverage on this. Uh, one government function that does not seem imperiled at the moment, you'll be happy to know, Desi, is asteroid monitoring. What? Na- NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, oh, okay. uh, operated by the California Institute of Technology, under a contra- is under a contract and remains open for now. JPL's Center for Near-Earth Object Studies, which tracks objects that might slam into the Earth, is still keeping tabs on space rocks. So at least there's that. There is that. Paul Jodis, manager of the uh, of the center, said his operation, quote, should be able to continue working for several more months. So we're safe from asteroids so we're safe for a few more months. At least from asteroids, but yes, only for a few more months. Uh, this uh, shutdown, you would think, is beginning to uh, become untenable for the president and for Republicans. Trump told reporters today that he has, quote, the absolute right to declare a national emergency to secure funding for his border wall. Well, let's hope that's all he has to declare a national emergency for at this point. Uh, and he says he will, quote, definitely use that option if he's unable to reach a deal with Democrats. He says, I have ab- the absolute right to declare a national emergency. He said this outside the White House today before leaving for a photo op appearance on the border in McAllen, Texas, on Thursday. He says, I haven't done it yet. I may do it. If this doesn't work out, probably I will do it. I would almost say definitely this is a national emergency. 
Well, apparently it's a national emergency that he can take his time deciding whether to declare or not. I guess sure. it is not that much of an emergency well, after it's, all. It's so much of an emergency that he can wait the several months to years that it would take to build an actual wall, too. Well, it, yes, it would take many years to do that as well. But, you know, if it's a national emergency, you kind of think... You know, you declare it when the emergency actually happens. Oh, you think? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's an emergency. Maybe not. I don't think that's going to stand up well in court when his national emergency declaration is almost certainly challenged there. Um, We may, of course, be facing a national emergency, but not due to the need for a border wall. With all of these gov- with all these agencies shut down, who knows what will happen? But I don't think the problem is the border wall. Uh, Trump has left that option on the table, of course, for many days to declare an emergency. And then he could just say, well, we're going to put defense money into the wall and you can go ahead and open the government again. That would probably be the best thing at this point. But some members of the so-called conservative media have themselves voiced hesitation and outright opposition to the idea over fear of the precedent that it would set for other presidents. Brian Kilmeade, co-host of Donald Trump's favorite show, Fox and Friends, where, what was it, back in 2013 that he blamed <laughs> that he blamed Obama for uh, any government shutdown, saying that, that the buck it, stops uh, with the president, yeah, that it's that all the, the leader's fault. That was then. This is now. In the meantime, Kilmeade uh, on Fox and Friends told viewers on Thursday that, quote, big picture, the use of an emergency declaration to get Trump's border wall funding would be, as he described it, again, as Fox News described it, a disaster and set a terrible precedent for the future. It would just be a disaster in the big picture and just show us being inept and unable to govern uh, around the world. And it would just set a terrible precedent that will continue, as as uh, Eric Erickson brought up. He said, look, the next president, if it is a liberal president, will say a state of emergency will be climate change. Uh, look at what happened with Sandy. Uh, look at what happened uh, with the earthquake. Uh, look at what's happening to the polar bears have no place to walk on ice. Right. And then the, so this would just be a bad sign that the courts are forced to do something that uh, that politicians can't and that is come up with solutions to problems well, so, uh, well it's not just <laughs> the next president it's this president it would set a dangerous precedent that this president can get whatever he wants he can hold the country hostage millions of people hostage to get what he wants to get concessions but okay uh, a couple of the points that he mentioned Uh, Hurricane Sandy, look at Hurricane Sandy. You'll just have a president declaring a national emergency over Hurricane Sandy. It it was it was an emergency. Yes, I mean, of course, he declared an emergency for that for the earthquake. Not clear which earthquake he's talking about. But if there's a major earthquake, there should be. Uh, a federal disaster declaration. Not sure where he's going with the um, the polar bears have nowhere to walk on ice. Uh, well, well, I mean, we know is, where he's going. This but. is the Fox and Friends brain trust. Not much of it makes sense. <laughs> so I won't try too hard. Yeah. But uh, listen, uh, Trump has got to do something at this point. He knows it. His plan is almost certainly to declare a fake national emergency and then fight it out in the courts 
where he actually doesn't care if he wins or not. He'll If he wins in the courts, he'll say, see, I was right. If he loses, he'll just blame liberal courts or something. But he's got to do something, and he knows it. Republicans in Congress are starting to turn on him to call for a vote to reopen the government. Mitch McConnell continues to block a vote on the very same bill that Republicans and Democrats approved almost unanimously last year. And today, McConnell is refusing still to block new versions of those uh, spending bills that would open the other federal agencies other than DHS so they could fight about the wall later. But they would open the FDA that we were talking about in the last segment and the FAA here when it comes to uh, concerns about air traffic control. And it would keep the shutdown fight for later. But uh, the polls are slipping for Donald Trump. And um, he uh, is, of course, blaming the Democrats for the shutdown. Uh, But Trump's efforts to pin the blame on Democrats are not working, according to 538.com, who cites three different pollsters who have conducted at least two polls since the government first closed. These polls show that Americans are increasingly blaming Donald Trump. They looked at only data from pollsters who had conducted two surveys since the shutdown started, one just after it began and one right after the New Year's. So they got an apples to apples comparison. And all three of these polls found a four percent increase in those blaming Donald Trump. Uh, And uh, and they're doing so by double digits. Uh, There is some good news here. Uh, His base seems to be largely sticking with him. Seventy three percent of those who voted for him in 2016 say Democrats are mostly to blame in the shutdown in one of these polls. Eighty three percent blame Democrats in the most recent YouGov poll. But that won't be enough to keep the GOP Senate on his side, which I suspect both Trump and McConnell are paying close attention to. Voters disagree with Trump's demand for border wall funding by double digit margins in seven key Senate swing states, according to new polling. The survey suggests that the ongoing shutdown could hurt a number of Republicans who are facing 2020 reelection fights in the states that will likely determine who controls the Senate after the next election, including some GOP leaning states. Alaska, Arizona, Colorado, Georgia, Iowa, Maine and North Carolina. In all of those states, voters disagree with Trump by double digit margins that the government should be kept closed until he gets his funding for the wall. They also oppose spending billions to construct a border wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. And voters in all seven states say by double digit margins that their Republican senators support of Trump on this issue is making them less, not more likely to vote for their reelection. His approval ratings are also upside down in all seven of those states. For example, voters say they disapprove uh, uh, more than approve of the job that Trump is doing as president by 16 points in Colorado. Hello, Senator Cory Gardner, who is up for reelection next year. 16 points also in Maine. Hello, Senator Susan Collins. You are also up for election next year. So this is not good for any of these Republican senators. Those two, as well as Senators Dan Sullivan in Arkansas, Martha McSally in Arizona, Dave Perdue in Georgia, 
Joni Ernst up in Iowa and uh, Tom Tillis in North Carolina. They are all up for re-election next year. And in all of those states, Donald Trump's approval is underwater and is sinking quick under this shutdown. But here's one more polling data before uh, data point before we uh, get to the break here that might really sting Trump a bit, hitting him right where he lives in the TV ratings. Newly reminted U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and fellow Democrat and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer's live rebuttal to Trump's Tuesday night primetime speech topped Trump's own speech by four points across <laughs> the seven broadcast and cable news networks. And um, Deadline Hollywood says this might be the first time the usual afterthought of an opposition party response has beaten a sitting president's address to the nation. That's going to kind of drive them nuts. Huh? I hope so. It's not a far drive, though. All right, quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Back to the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, uh, Desi Doyen, good news and bad news today. Uh, Joshua Tree National Park, the, here's the good news. Joshua Tree National Park is to stay open as Park Service uh, will use uh, fee revenue amid shutdown. That's the good news. The bad news is Joshua Tree will stay open as the Park Service is using uh, use, uses fee revenue. Yes, it's a terrible open. idea. I mean, the uh, there's damage now at Joshua Tree National Park. People have been using their cars to ram down these 100-year-old trees, 200, 500-year-old trees, and creating new roads in the park where they're actually killing these threatened species. And this is for uh, for people who don't know Joshua Tree. It's out here in California. It's the desert. It's a high desert and low desert. This is the time of year, frankly, in the winter that uh, I think is the most popular for Joshua Tree because it's not 120 degrees out there. Yes, it's a beautiful area. Very fragile. So good news that people get to keep going and that the park will stay open. But bad news is that it's getting trashed in the process. Yes, it's horrible. 
Just like the entire country, it seems. And with that, seems like a good lead-in to our latest Green News Report. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency accused Fiat Chrysler of installing secret software. Fiat Chrysler to pay big fines for cheating on U.S. emissions tests. The three costliest weather disasters in the world last year all occurred in the United States. U.S. greenhouse gas emissions spiked in 2018. Plus, politicians look the other way while big oil companies destroy this planet. Democrats push ahead on climate action. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The more carbon-based fuels you can introduce in the developing world, Africa, South America, Asia, the cleaner the environment gets. Oh man, gotta hand it to Fox News. George Orwell must be proud. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, on Wednesday, Donald Trump promised to cut off FEMA wildfire relief money for the state of California after the worst and most deadly fire season on record out here, unless, he said, California gets their act together. Does he mean this? Is he actually going to cut off FEMA relief? to California, where almost 100 people died last year in wildfires? Well, it's not the first time that he's threatened to cut off FEMA funding for California, but it is unclear if this is official because, of course, FEMA officials did not comment because of the government shutdown. Some 19,000 structures, that's homes, were burnt to the ground And he's going to cut all those families off, I guess. Yep. It's the last thing that fire victims really needed to hear right now. Meanwhile, AP is reporting that automaker Fiat Chrysler has agreed to pay more than $650 million to the U.S. government to settle allegations that the company used illegal software to cheat on U.S. emissions tests, allowing more than 100,000 diesel vehicles to spew toxic pollution at 10 times beyond legal limits. The company will pay hundreds of millions in fines to the federal government and California state regulators and will reimburse vehicles owners, but did not admit any wrongdoing. Huh, secret software from Fiat Chrysler, exactly, almost exactly what Volkswagen did. Go figure. The three most costly natural disasters in the entire world in 2018 all occurred in the United States, and all were climate and weather related. We're number one. Mm, That's according to a new report by global reinsurer Munich Re. The costliest single disaster in 2018 was that camp fire in California that obliterated the town of Paradise, killing more than 80 people and causing overall damages of at least $16 billion. Well, cut off their FEMA funds. It was followed by Hurricane Michael in the Florida Panhandle and Hurricane Florence in North Carolina. Any talk of cutting off FEMA funds to Florida and North Carolina? Now that you mention it, no. Weird. Annual U.S. greenhouse gas emissions shot up in 2018 for the first time in nearly 10 years, increasing by nearly 4%. That's despite a near-record number of U.S. coal plants closing last year. Researchers with the Rhodium Group said the spike was driven 
primarily by surging emissions from factories, planes and trucks and higher heating oil consumption. But they also said it probably would not have been as high without the Trump administration's deregulation efforts. The increase comes as scientists warn the world needs to be aggressively cutting emissions to avoid catastrophic climate change. So once again... We're going in the wrong direction. Exactly. But Democrats are pushing to make climate change a central political issue. Likely presidential candidate Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren called out the oil industry in announcing she's formed a presidential exploratory committee. Washington State's Democratic Governor Jay Inslee, who has not formally announced a 2020 run, over the weekend told MSNBC's Joy Reid that climate change is a threat to the economy and national security and And he believes the best hope for America is to nominate a Democratic governor. To govern is to choose. And we must choose a a path to economic growth that will simultaneously defeat climate change. Well, good luck with that. Finally, Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, in a 60 Minutes interview, refused to back down from the goals articulated in a Green New Deal jobs plan that some have described as radical. I think that it only has ever been radicals that have changed this country. Abraham Lincoln made the radical decision to sign the the Emancipation Proclamation. Franklin Delano Roosevelt made the radical decision to embark on establishing programs like Social Security. That is radical. Do you call yourself a radical? Yeah, you know, if that's what radical means, call me a radical. She's radical. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, or Google Play. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. She is not backing down, is no, she? No, she is Good not. For her. And I hope she stays that way. Yeah. Uh, she'll. Uh, she's only, how old, 29 now? I believe so. You can't run for president until you're 35? I think I that's think it correct, is. yeah. So there's about six more years there. And uh, But uh, did you say someone said she could not run because she's not, is she not native born? Uh, talking about AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I don't know her background. I have not looked into it. So I can't tell you for sure, but that All is right. a headline that I saw. Well, you got six years to figure it out. <laughs> I would love to have a radical in the White House who was not insane. All right, uh, that's it. Got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to uh, my guest today, Tom Philpott of Mother Jones Food for Thought blog, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Always good to hear from you. And follow and follow, follow and find and share me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad blog as ever we are on your public airwaves as we approach the 15th anniversary of bradblog.com soon we're on your public airwaves thanks only to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate uh, please consider stopping by there today to help us continue into our 15th year that's it until we meet again I'm Brad Friedman good luck world Whoa.